Hello, this is Dr. Mari Swingle of the Swingle Clinic and author of iMinds 2.0, discussing the effects of interactive technology on the brain and behavior. And you are watching the Neuro Noodle Podcast. Welcome to Neuro Noodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He is the man who has read well over a half a million brain scans. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you, like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience, and our silver supporter, Mind Media. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide Workshop March 4th and 5th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. MindMedia, get the latest EEG and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com. Their semi-dry sensor cap is a wonder to see, and their EEG amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades. Their neurofeedback and QEG courses will get you up to speed in no time. Visit mindmedia.com now. Dr. Mari Swingle, thank you for coming back to the Neural Noodle Podcast. You must have had a good time the last time. Yeah, it's my pleasure always. You're the author of iMinds, and you also have the Swingle Clinic. What have you been up to since we talked to you last year? Oh, what have I not been up to? Um, I'd, I'd say I mean, we might as well launch right on in with, with COVID. All of the issues that are facing individuals in terms of excessive or what I call non-complementary uh, interactive um, technologies have just blossomed and, and boomed to a, a proportion where it's really affecting almost everyone now. Jay made it a point to bring you back because we did an overview of the social dilemma, you know, Netflix's documentary. When we had you on, I guess the social dilemma came out and we didn't see it yet. So I just happened to stumble upon it, you know, a couple months ago. Jay yeah. and I talked about it and he says, you got to bring uh, Dr. Marion and talk about internet addiction and all the negative bias and all, and all that stuff. So here, here we are. For the people that didn't catch you a couple of years ago, could you give us a refresher on iMinds and what the, what's that about? Somebody picks up a copy. What are they what are they going to learn? Yeah, well, it's 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 a book written for what I refer to as the educated public. There, there's a lot of science in it, um, simply because I think there are way too many celebrities writing about things uh, without the hard data to 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 back it. And I mean, we're already weaving into what the issues with social media are. There's no vetting, there's no credentialing, etc. So the book is highly, highly referenced very scientifically based, but written in an extremely uh, accessible way. And that's not just me self-promoting, that's also been the reviews. Um, so, uh, but I, I don't just talk about, you know, I, obviously on NeuroNoodle, we're going to talk about the EEG and the effects that we can see, you know, in the brain waves on the brain, etc. But I'm also coming at it from the, you know, the, the social, the cultural aspects, like how did all this start? Why did it start? Uh, and why is it all continuing? And one of the issues I think everybody is facing, and I hope that we um, get into this a bit today, is what do we do about it? 
you know, I first started working on this in, in, in early 2000s and everybody thought I was nuts. You know, I think the only thing I had going for me at that point was my youth, because if you were a little bit older at that time, uh, you would be completely shut out as a, a, a Luddite. And, you know, when I see Divergent or, you know, people talking about it now, I just there's a part of me is yes, it's finally out. And there's a part of me, especially with the uh, the gentleman in um, uh, Divergent, Tristan. I mean, he's a complete turncoat. You know, if you look at that man's history, he's part and parcel of why we have this whole problem. Uh, so one side of me is like, growled you know he made millions and billions on one side causing this problem and now he's making millions and billions on the other side but he has the platform um and that's why i think it's really really important to support these people now who sure they were part of the problem but it's okay now to flip and be part of the solution but um and and shut me up if i just go on my own diatribe the the, the huge huge issue here is the problem is there's no oversight whatsoever. Um, and that, you know, through politics, et cetera, we might be able to get somewhere. But the part B to this is there's no alternative. Okay, so we are literally hostage as a population. So you can put in tons and tons of oversight, uh, presumably with people educated and knowledgeable enough to, to wield it. But if there's no alternate, we're cooked. We've always been in this situation, haven't we? It's just that now there's, it's more condensed. It's more efficient. Before before the internet, you know, you had the uh, three TV stations, you had a few radio stations, and you had some teen magazines out there. You were exposed to this stuff, but it was spread over time. Now it's, you know, condensed and now you throw in artificial intelligence. Social media, you know, as seen in the the elections, and I'm just pointing towards the social dilemma because I want people to read your book. Yeah. I want people to get an appetite to read your book by watching Social Dilemma because people are lazy. So if they can start there and, you know, get a little bit deeper, but... People want to see negative headlines. Why is that? <laughs> if you if you if you put up a negative headline and a positive one, they're going to read the negative one negative one first. Well, we're just wired that way, right? I mean, this is self-preservation. If there's a tiger in a corner and a little nice cutesy kitten, if you pay attention to the kitten, you're going to be eaten by the tiger. Um, and that's a, a big point I make in my book and my lectures, uh, which is we are hijacked. We're not. We're, we started by piggybacking biology. Okay. All of this stuff was engineered intentionally. I talk about I'm on the wrong side of profit, you know, in terms of the amount of psychologists and scientists that assisted in building this, it was engineered intentionally to capture us. Now, I'm not going to get into how malvolent this was. They talk about do no evil in Google, but at a certain point you had to wake up and say, whoa, how many times do we say do more evil before we look at that horrible witcher warlock hat we're wielding, you know, as we say, do no evil. So that's the key point. It is purposely engineered. It started with uh, piggybacking biology, and now it has fully hijacked it. I don't mind disclosing I'm in my mid-50s. My development was complete before all of this, you know, attacked my brain and my person. But I'm very, very concerned about the younger generations um, and some of the things we know, whether we're talking about attachment, whether we're talking about how the brain learns. You know, we're dealing with neuronal Darwinism. We're dealing with neuronal pruning. We're literally affecting development. 
And some of the things that I see, some are reversible. I'm also a practicing clinician. Maybe that didn't come through. And some are not. I like to say we're very much in a live experiment and we're not paying significant attention. One of my major issues is how uh, the schools are fully uh, involved, uh, curriculum developers. Um, there's We're, we're all um, hostile dependents. I don't want to say we're being hoodwinked, but there's a level of naivete. Uh, I don't want to insult with ignorance, but there's a level of naivete of the individual's who are assisting with further dissemination. Um, in my region, we were essentially cooked when iPads became required in grade four, okay? Um, some of the technologies originally, it was so beautiful under the umbrella of no child left behind. Uh, they gave out technology to, you know, air quote, underprivileged children, et cetera. Well, they just got their market. Yeah, individuals will be left behind now if they don't have certain aspects of technology and if they don't know how to use it. But there's no alternate. You know, you ask what I've been up to. I think Jay can kind of speak as well. Many of us in this field, we're, we're, we're slightly workaholic. <laughs> just my, my partner just plopped me out and said, we have to run away for a few days. So, so we ran away. I had intentionally said to all my staff, anyone, that all phones, all devices were going to be off for three days. Like, don't even try. And I did. Everywhere we went... I was completely dysfunctional. So it's perfectly fine for me not to have contact with the office or friends or family. Everybody knew what was going on, but I couldn't, I'm, I'm going to exaggerate a bit. I couldn't eat at a restaurant. The menus, they're all QR codes. Even when you try and unplug now, you can't. Uh, so I was, you know, the bizarre person in the resort without devices, completely dependent on other people. I couldn't make the choice to disconnect because I was therefore dependent on people who were connected. And I can loop back around to COVID again. I'm sure this came out because nobody wanted to touch menus when the restaurants were finally open. So there's always, you know, again, air quotes, good reason for this to continue. But then we never go back. And even going into attention spans, you would think that perhaps servers, hosts and hostesses, et cetera, could then just tell you the menu. But I think their attention has been grossly affected. Nobody can tell you a phone number now, never mind be capable of um, reciting a menu. So you can see how I'm just going in circles in terms of the issues. You brought up kids and you brought up, brought up controls. You touched on a social media diets. What would be the suggestion that you give to the parents that are watching us right now? Like what age ranges would you say that you should put them on a social media diet? How long should that be? Ever since the iPads have been given out in the social media and the technology, kids are sleeping less. So how does sleep come into play in all of this? Oh, boy. How many hours do you have, right? Um, so first of all, I would say this, the moment the child starts eating is the moment you have to regulate. And I, I like the word diet. Okay, maybe we should use the French word regime. Uh, it's a bit better because the word diet has such a negative connotation. It's about deprivation. And one of the things I always talk about is informed choice. Okay, if you want to uh, inform yourself and then you choose another direction, I will respect that. But please make it informed choice. 
many of the analogies that I use are actually very, very much involving food. You know, other addictions or other, other over uses of things, you have the choice to do or not do. Okay, so if you're a cocaine addict, well, stop taking cocaine. To a certain extent, alcohol, it's a social uh, consumption, but it can also tip over into something pretty nasty. Stop it. Okay, but you can't stop food. Okay, you have to learn to regulate. And everybody knows that abstinence is actually easier than regulation. Uh, going back to the food industry, there's a reason why people are struggling with obesity. There's just excess out there. We're overfed and undernourished. And I would say the exact same thing is happening now with our brains. One of the other issues is the kids are teaching the parents. They can run circles around parents. Um, and this has been from the get-go. I would say a duty now of parenting is to stay ahead of your children and for you to feed your children, not have your children feeding you. And once they're feeding themselves, you've essentially lost the game. Um, so I think one of the key things, regardless of the age, is do never use this as a babysitter. Use it as a tool. And if you choose to introduce any form of interactive technology with your child, overtly teach them and overtly sit with them as you're doing it. Uh, my other running joke, techies are cheaper than psychologists. So if you don't know how to use the technologies, depending on where you live and the level of expertise you need, pay the 20 to $80 for a techie to show you how to do things, okay? Whether it's to see, you know, Trojan apps, you know, what is your child actually looking at? Um, whether it's how to get two modem systems in your home, one um, that parents can use for work and another that can be for, for entertainment, like all kinds of solutions using tech against tech. But I think the key thing is learn about it. Um, and most of us are just, uh, passive uh, consumers, and, and therefore we also become hostile dependents. Another component is, you know, what age? When is too much? Okay, well, what are you feeding? You know, my major issue, I, I call it the three Ps. Okay, all devices serve the three Ps. Okay, and I say Pythagoras theorem, fantastic education. Pokemon, entertainment, okay, positives and negative, but the third one is porn. And the fact that you have children with three control over devices that deliver the three Ps indiscriminately, I want to just rip my big hair out and say, what is wrong with us um, that we are permitting this from the get-go? Where did this go so wrong? And how is this so um, acceptable? And, and why is this the norm? Why is there no oversight at any single level? And why is oversight so almost impossible for parents? Why aren't parents overseeing? I think they've been fed a lot of it as well. Many of them just don't see the issue. I mean, one of the things that I go bonkers over is the parents come in um, and essentially plop their child down and say, fix my kid. They're not prepared to restrict devices. They're not prepared to do many of the things that need to be done. But then again, at the second level, neither of any are any of the parents. So then you have a child who's socially isolated. Then we get into the school system. Well, you need a device for school. 
it just it goes on and on and on. Um, and then we have, you know, some of the concerns about safety. So I don't know, when I was a kid, you took the bus, you know, nobody was really worried about what would happen between, you know, when you got from your house to the bus stop. I mean, don't get me wrong, stuff did happen, but, you know, we're being fed levels of concern. You can just see how this is a huge, huge sticky web, you know, no pun intended. Um, but, you know, we have to work together at unraveling it. Um, but the, the major issue is it's just too big now. So again, in terms of oversight, very big two cents is you have to break up the monopolies right? As long as you you have this master control system, we're never going to get ahead. You're going to have counterculture, which is already emerging. Um, but that's about it. Now, when Pete and I were young, and especially when I was young, Pete's much younger than I, the directionality of uh, media was basically they could send data to you, but they didn't monitor you know, the, your TV, unless you had a Nielsen rating box hooked onto your TV, mm-hmm. they didn't know what you were watching. Yeah. Um, and, and there was no control over that. So it was a one-way delivery. You're, you could pretty well control that by what you turned your set to. Now you have psychologists and psychiatrists and consultants manipulating the information you're being fed mm-hmm. to try to influence you. Mm-hmm. which is a little bit different than just delivering uh, in, as in the old days. But mm-hmm. they're also monitoring. Mm-hmm. And the the monitoring ends up being at a level that's, I, I think, under-evaluated or, or uh, less than fully understood. Yeah, uh, We have lots of people who are into gaming. No problem if you're into gaming, you know, at a healthy level and aren't being sucked into it as an obsession, uh, fine, play your games. But, you know, they now have headsets that monitor your brain activity, the emotives uh, that end up operating the games. This actually opens you up to a side attack. Mm -hmm. The online people looking at your EEG Mm-hmm. which is interacting with the game, mm-hmm. they can actually query and, and watch how your brain is responding to information presented. Yeah. yeah, They can increase the likelihood of guessing your password, increase 40% increase in probability of guessing your password above a random number attacked at your password. Mm-hmm. Uh, just by uh, watching your brain's activity to material that, that's online. that That's quite a statement. You, you should actually look for some data about that. This is, uh, the, uh, Thomas Ross was a guest uh, on here. He's one of the uh, people from uh, uh, Europe that's uh, involved in this study. Mm-hmm. But they basically looked carefully at, at uh, people using uh, gaming technologies with EEG on it to operate games and uh, you know flashing uh, uh, icon uh, information in front of you and uh, uh, the probability of guessing. 
they they watch your brain respond to information on screen and they can start to actually uh, track what uh, what you like what you don't like um and uh, increase again the probability of even guessing your your basic passwords and accesses so a, a bad actor on the other end can really mess with your mind if they have access to it mm -hmm. and this is just with the emotive surface electrodes there are brain computer interface things that are developing now that are intended to have implanted Neuralink, the Elon Musk's group is, they're, they're still kind of at a crude level of operation. They can't even operate in a, in a proper way. They uh, have problems with biohazards of uh, explanted implants from animals and uh, the animal cruelty things and whatnot. I mean, they're, there's a whole thing of, uh, about that operation that's not quite right. But independent of that, just the uh, the ability to actually not only monitor, but also influence. Uh, the, the intention is not just the brain to the computer, but the computer to the brain. And the ability to uh, uh, stimulate brain areas to potentiate uh, functions and so forth. So it's getting a lot more complicated. The implants that used to be either high frequency or low frequency uh, stimulators, uh, now they are monitoring the brain. They actually you know, measure the uh, deep brain location that they're implanted in. And the newest ones now have AI chips on board that now can learn the brain and adjust the stimulation to the brain. Yeah. And that, that's quite useful. I mean, uh, high frequency stimulation, low frequency stimulation in Parkinson's treat different kinds of problems. One is the tremor and the other one is the, the frozen rigid uh, inability to initiate. And yeah. if you're just high frequency or just low frequency, you've only got one or the other of those. And yeah. having a, an implant that actually could decide, uh, well, you're having problems with the freezing, so we'll, we'll stimulate to get rid of that. You know, so that it, it's it's a well-intended development. The level of regulation over the, the operation of all of this is non-existent at this point. <clears throat> when uh, shipping uh, hazardous uh, uh, medical waste without proper protections, you know the operation isn't being regulated. Uh, hepatitis B uh, off of monkey brain uh, stuff is not unheard of and uh, you just can't ship that stuff through the mail and they're they're uh, make making foundational operational mistakes uh by being in a rush it's unfortunate yeah an absolute agreement yes okay um and the, and it just it it's just bizarre the level of sophistication and and you know, to use very simple language, spookiness. I mean, the average person, when we start talking about these things, thinks we're absolutely out in left field sci-fi. Um, and we're not, you know, we're, we're, what we're talking about is overt uh, mind control. Um, and essentially, IA is a, as a parasite, you know, uh, permitting a parasite uh, either metaphorically inside of our brains or physically inside of our brains. 
But there's always this little uh, extremely positive side to it. So, you know, when we're talking about uh, whether we can help with uh, spinal cord injuries or Parkinson's, there's all these beautiful things that can be done. Um, and let's just reference good old Marie Curie. I mean, wow, what she was up to with nuclear. Um, but there's this whole other uh, part of responsibility that comes with this. And again, there's no oversight. Um, and I'd say in so many other industries, people would be going, whoa, and, and nobody is. Um, and this is where I say, you know, sci-fi predicts our future and we're in it. Dr. Swingle and, and Jay, you both brought up too much screen time, too much gaming. What is too much? The parents that are watching, they just want to know, well, what is too much? How do you know you're an addict in anything, Dr. Swingle? I hate this question. Okay. Uh, pediatric societies come out with, you know, so many hours before two or four. Um, and the good news is they start listening to us. Okay. And they go, oh, maybe that's a little too young. Okay. But one of the things they're not considering is epigenetics. Um, like everybody uh, understands analogies on alcohol, and this is why I use them. The answer is it depends. And everybody wants an absolute. There is no such absolute. If you want an absolute and you never want to be affected, don't use it. Okay. Or don't use it until certain developmental ages or stages are complete. So if you don't want to affect attachment, don't use any interactive technology before age three. If you don't want to affect uh, attention or the development of the vestibular system, don't use any until age nine. If you don't want to affect social sexual development, don't use anything until the age of 50. You see where I'm going. Okay, but you have to kind of know what developmental phase a person is in to know what may or may not be affected. So this is where I go back to alcohol. The example I use is scotch and rosé. Everybody knows that one person who can down half a bottle of scotch and they are, air quote, absolutely fine. They don't slur their speech. They don't stumble all over the place. Uh, my sidebar joke, again, is I don't recommend they sign legal documents or drive a car, but they're okay. And then there's that individual with half a glass of, you know, 6% rosé is loopy. It's the exact same substance. It's how it affects the brain. The second part of the epigenetic example, you know, when we do consume alcohol, forget the scotch versus the wine, you know, some individuals become gregarious. They're the life of the party. Okay. It's actually a, um, a, uh, a social a positive stimulation for them. Other people, you know, start crying in the corner about their boyfriend or their girlfriend. You know, they do, they become negatively emotional. Um, and then again, other people become angry and these are your violent drunks. Okay. It's the exact same substance. It's the same with our interactive technologies. Some of us actually can take more and some of us, the smallest amount is too much. And this is where I tell parents, know your child, okay? Observe your child. And one of the key things to watch for are the effects and the affects. So talking about the affect, if your child tantrums, when you ask them to come off technology, more than they would if you ask them to stop 
playing with another toy, whether inside or outside, that's how you know that uh, your emotional systems, your emotional regulation is being affected. That's your too much. For some children, it's five minutes. For some children, it's three hours. Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide Workshop March 4th and 5th in Madeira Beach, Florida. It's led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with the link appliedneuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. If you bring up alcohol as an example, would it make sense for somebody to get an EEG reading to get an idea of their alpha waves uh, if there's a deficiency? <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, but yes, but uh, a lot of my earlier work was actually on alpha, and I have a couple of screenshots if you'd like me to put them up. So, so let me set the stage, and then I'll I'll, I'll go through the slides and just kind of show individuals I'm talking about. I mean, like everybody else, I didn't know what the heck I was dealing with earlier on, and I did my uh, PhD dissertation actually on internet addiction. Um, and when I was going through the data, it never made it in the dissertation. It was just this huge curiosity. There was a, a bizarre alpha flutter. Every single 19-site normative QEG that I did. And it was just kind of weird that it was in all the quote-unquote uh, brains of internet addicts. The other thing I really noted is when you do any type of artifacting, obviously computer artifacting, it just removes it. It's an artifact. But the fact that it was systematic everywhere, I went back after my dissertation was long done. It's organic. It's real. It's not an artifact. And then I started watching this over uh, the years. And now it is my signature. If you see this signature... This is the brain marker of deregulation due to excessive uh, exposure. The marker is how much your alpha goes up from an eyes open to an eyes closed condition. And again, this is another way we know it's organic. It can't be interference. It can't be artifact because it changes when we open and close our eyes. Long before, you know, when we watch Alpha rising, we associated this with a really good um, a visualization capacity, creativity. Um, I say not just in the modern sense of singing and dancing and playing guitar uh, or, or visual arts, uh, but also in terms of um, higher levels of architecture, mathematics. It's pattern recognition is what it is. But there's a certain cutoff where uh, we say if your alpha goes up anywhere from 50 to 100% between eyes open and eyes closed condition, that, that's healthy. When it goes up over 100%, we always say, wow, that's the creative. But what I've noticed is when it goes over 200%, that's the hijack. And one of the things that really, really saddens me is I'd say up until around 10 years ago, maybe even 15, uh, when we saw this beautiful alpha rise um, in kids typically coming in for other issues. Um, we report that to parents and say, wow, is, is, is your child creative? They go, yes, beautiful. Okay. Yeah, we're worried about the reading issue, but they are this fabulous artist. We don't hear that anymore. It's been completely hijacked uh, by the excessive use. 
Now, going a little bit further, I'd say over the past three years, I've been really, really looking at this and the prevalence. And of course, I don't have to tell you it's going up, up, up. But I've also been marking, obviously, the symptoms, the conditions for which people are coming in. And my preliminary data is around 80% is what I am calling the uh, interactive technology excess. But the outliers, what are the outliers? And I was fascinated by the outliers. Number one is marijuana use, excessive marijuana use, and then closely followed by head injury, like severe head injury. Okay. And then we see it in what I call the brain body illness. So we're talking about fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue. And the other one, which is really cool, is it's full blown, I, I want to say, well, essentially delusions. So psychosis. This all comes down to advertising, right? And Stanford has a school of influence and advertising's regulated with the FTC. So why isn't some of this, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we're trying to influence future behaviors. And uh, I, I would like to see uh, neurofeedback regulated. It's, it's scary. That's all I can say. It's terrible. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the, the 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 lack of oversight on this is yeah. absolutely terrifying. Okay. So what does addiction look like on an EEG, Dr. Swingle? This is uh, a male, nine years old, coming in for a learning disability. And you see those huge squiggles at 01? That's your signature. I suppose say alpha? Yep. It's all alpha. So what you're looking at, and if we go into, I have the data up, 01, you can see ART25. Okay, so this is the artifacted data and the non-artifacted data. Okay, so if we look into non-artifacted data, the alpha response percentage of change from eyes open to eyes closed alpha is 230%. And it's real. And majority of individuals are not looking at raw data. And majority of individuals now in our field are having computer artifact and they're missing it. When your eyes are open, you have healthy undulation of alpha. And then instantly, when you close your eyes, you get this huge, huge flutter of alpha. Dr. Swingle, can you use an EEG to determine if somebody is an addict to something? Absolutely. What you're looking for is alpha response in the occipit, location 01. Um, and if your alpha response from condition eyes open to eyes closed is over 200%, that is your EEG marker. Now, this is non-artifacted data. It needs to be the raw signal. If you're artifacting your data computer-wise, um, you will not see it. It will be removed as artifact. And it is not artifact. It is true signal. Anytime I hear somebody suggest that you pay attention to the raw signal, it, it warms the cockles of my heart. Don't get me going, Jay. Well, yeah, let's get going. We, we need to continue to educate people in raw signal. Jay and Dr. Swingle, what is the issue with the signal that's coming through? Because people are all worried about the text out there, like, oh, I got to remove the artifact. If you remove too much artifact, can you miss anything on the EEG? 
Yes, 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 and yes. Uh, the term artifact is a misdemeanor. So there's true artifact. And if you're well educated in our profession, you learn what is an eye blink, what is a uh, swallow, what is 60 cycle interference, what is uh, movement interference, etc. But there are many, many uh, organic um, uh, signatures uh, coming from the EEG that are removed as artifact just because we don't understand them. Um, and that's a key area of my research now. You know, is it artifact? And, you know, working, I work a lot with children and I, I affectionately say I work with dirty data. And that's not a negative. You know, when you're working with an ADHD child, movement is a measure. <laughs> artifact, like true artifact, the nasty stuff can also be a measure. So please watch your artifact. Um, and I think we need two, we need two terms. True artifact that we know what it is and we don't want it, and the unknown. Jay, do you have a suggestion on what we call that other stuff, the unknown? It's not artifact, it's unknown. <laughs> If you eliminate the obvious artifacts, the, the simple eye blinks and things such as that, mm -hmm. uh, there's quite a few signals that end up being difficult for uh, novice readers to understand. Yeah. But the EG has got tremendous depth in what it can show. Yeah. Um, uh, cerebrovascular insufficiencies, um, ischemic change, uh, subtleties that uh, are, are difficult to spot. And if you're cutting out pieces and throwing it away, you also lose the temporal dynamic. Uh, vigilance modeling as an approach to EG analysis. Gerald Ulrich's uh, book on uh, theoretical interpretation of the EG using vigilance modeling, uh, they, they want the EG intact. If you cut it up, you lose the, the, the point in time to point in time shifts in vigilance. And that's, that's the basis of their analysis. Um, it's okay to extract an eye movement with an ICA and still leave the vigilance intact, but you can't cut it up and, and slice and dice an EEG and still use vigilance modeling. It's important to end up uh, making sure that your data processing matches the kind of analysis you're going to end up doing. You know, obviously, a, a, a database comparison. Is, is an eyes open or an eyes closed, uh, you know, normative, but that's eyes closed awake. It's not eyes closed asleep. Right now, it's very difficult to end up with a, a, a five-minute study, uh, which is the, the bare minimum for eyes closed to see whether somebody falls asleep before five minutes, which is a referral for a sleep lab at, at that point. If they're in stage two sleep before five minutes, it, it, you, you've got to... Uh, uh, pay attention to this because kids don't uh, sleep as much as they used to. There's two hours less sleep per night, probably due to media, possibly due to the color of light, the you know, blue light, uh, all, all of that. Yes. But whatever the, the, the underlying causes, the observation is two hours less per night and they're, they, they drift into a drowsy and light sleep state very, very quickly. And that looks inattentive. 20 to 50% of the, the kids uh, diagnosed with ADD actually have a sleep disorder. And again, the disordered sleep is not facilitated by online uh, practices that, that they can kind of damage your uh, normal ability to regulate.
Yeah, if, if people want to look further, I think there are two folks we should reference here. One is um, uh, Dr. Arns uh, bringed. I mean, people long before him were talking about sleep deprivation and ADHD, but he was the one who really, really brought it to light with some some good old fashioned proof. Um, the other is Dr. Walker. Um, and his his book is extremely accessible. And he talks about um, sleep hangovers or eye tech hangovers uh, in terms of how use before bed. Uh, essentially, it delays sleep onset from anywhere from 30 to 30 minutes to 90 minutes. So all you have to do is look at a child uh, in terms of um, how much sleep you're losing there. And it's not just that night, it's three nights. This is all common stuff. I don't, but you know, the arousal template, what state you're going to, to bed in the melatonin, the blue light. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Um, and a, a melatonin pill is not the solution for this stuff. Hey, uh, Jay and uh, Dr. Swingle, if I'm going to hand you both a magic wand. If you could wave it over the school systems and especially with the counselors, how can you use an EEG to help a, a student have a better experience? Like you, you used to have gym in school, you used to have recess. I have to suggest that EEG is probably a higher level technology that you're going to end up using for the mass of the students. Uh, psychophysiology uh, insights uh, uh, end up being useful for school. Uh, uh, HRV training uh, to end up uh, teaching kids essentially behavioral auto-regulations, some kind of self-control, self-regulation. And HRV ends up helping reduce uh, anxiety and aggression, some mindfulness uh, training, uh, those don't require the technology of the EEG. Uh, the EEG is probably going to be available only for a smaller percentage of the uh, the, the students who would end up being uh, ones that would uh, have uh, some suspicion of, of a different kind of a problem. If somebody is ADD uh, and they don't respond to the usual interventions, uh, they they need to have a more complete evaluation. There's 25% of the ADD population have unexpected epileptiform discharges. So you know, catching that will end up making a dramatic change in how they're treated. Well, you brought up ADHD. If a kid's misbehaving because they lose attention, they take away the recess, but they that's those are the kids that need the recess more, right? Yeah, again, this is how I enter this field. I work prim primarily with children. You know, recognize the need for kinetic activity. Being kinetic is not a negative. I, I talk a lot about direction versus correction. Never take away a child's physical uh, expression. Um, just teach them, you know, when it is or isn't uh, appropriate. So some of these really, really basic things. But, you know, back to your magic wand. We, we've moved from a culture of where we used to essentially hit children, corporal punishment, to get them to sit in a box for eight hours called school, to saying, oh, we're not allowed to hit kids, to, well, what do we do now? All right, let's medicate them. Okay. So I think we have to look at the bigger picture of who has the problem here. Is it the children or is it us? Okay. If we have to hit children or medicate children for them to be able to pay attention at the age of seven through nine, there's a larger cultural issue at play here. Uh, now, all that said, I also think we need to look at, you know, 
children who really do have issues where we're not medicating childhood um, or punishing childhood and childlike uh, expression. The, we look at ADD, ADD attention issues, um, and we, we, we look at stimulants. And again, I don't know how many years back, but this is, this is another signature that I can hang my hack at. Nobody was looking at the exhibit. Everybody was looking at excessive slow wave activity over the central motor cortex. Okay. I would even venture to say that 50% of the individuals with quote unquote ADHD is not ADHD at all. It's anxiety. And it's in fact, insufficient slow activity in the back of the brain, or they have all that beta at the back of, you know, depending on whether you look at it, it's not enough theta or too much beta. And we get into our ratios, but a lot of this is anxiety. And here we're looking, looping right back into today's topic. Why? Okay. Uh, excessive interactive screen use is directly correlated with the manifestation of anxiety. And it's also directly correlated with the inability to focus. And the third one, again, all of my research points to the, the big three depression, anxiety, and inattention, period. And I, I could go data, 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 data. It's, it's there. Absolutely clear. Jay brings up a real strong point on the HRV, like even in preschool. Would that help with the stigma that's out there on mental health? If, if you can understand that, hey, breathing can control the way that you feel. You are in control of your situation. If you feel like you're in control, maybe that will help with the anxiety. And then I'm getting get into... itchy. I want to interrupt. Can go, I interrupt? go, 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 go. Okay. I get so annoyed at this. Okay. Why do we need to teach HRV and calming and mindfulness? Okay. We're, this is a Band-Aid. Okay, if you permit kids to run around and get fatigued, um, they don't need all this this counter attention. Well, I'm I'll not, come back I'm not anti HRV. I'm not anti mindfulness, but I'm asking, why do we need all of this? Well, because didn't they change the rules on advertising for drugs? So all the parents see, hey, take a pill and your kid will be fixed. Yeah, yeah. Getting back to advertising. Yeah, and now we're getting into a, a lot of process again. I'm not against the processes, process over pills, but we still, we have to go back a little bit and say, why do we need such intervention? Why are we all so unhealthy? Why do children need HRV? Like, just pause. Why do children need HRV? Somebody like myself who's obsessive in research and practice, and yeah, I might need a little help to shut my brain off but i'm choosing this you know Be because kids are comparing themselves against other kids in a repetitive fashion with their phones yeah early life exposure face to face develops the ability to regulate or self-regulate yeah. and if that's not been done properly in the first few years mm -hmm. at that point learning hrv to self-regulate at a slightly yes. later point in time essentially uh, you haven't missed a critical period but you missed the normal period where self-regulation is learned and alan shore's work uh, uh, shows the 
development of later life psychopathology yeah. with inappropriate experience in the first few years. Uh, but the, essentially the intervention with, with the HRV and other neurofeedback and biofeedback techniques can teach self-regulation in, in a way uh, covering over earlier life opportunities that were missed for uh, the normal acquisition of self-regulation. Yeah. Self-soothing and self-regulation, uh, if learned early in life, you don't end up needing to learn some special practice. You have it as an inherent skill set. Uh, but if you've missed it, uh, you know, luckily we've got these clinical tools that can end up kind of backfilling the uh, skill set that you missed out on. And again, in my presentations, that's a key point I make. You know, you mentioned Shore, but Lerner, Bowlby, Ainsworth, all of the early de developmental psychologists that nobody's really referencing uh, anymore. Face-to-face, um, yeah, -face, heart heart-to-heart uh, interaction with primary caregivers is that it, this is how all emotional regulation is set up. <clears throat> Um, and if infants and small children are not getting face-to-face -face and heart-to-heart -heart interaction with their primary caregivers, uh, emotional regulation is not taught. It's not absorbed, you know, whether osmosis or whatnot. And this is where I go forward. We are giving technology, so primarily the phone and the iPad, to children and children are learning to self-regulate through the technology uh, and that's where we talk about you know the tantruming etc when a child now is feeling deregulated they many of them do not want a hug from a parent because that's not how they've been trained they want a piece of technology or a process to emotionally regulate and that's where all of our problems are starting Hey, Dr. Swingle, could you show me what a, a gamer's brain looks like or what's the downside of being a gamer? Uh, so here we have a male uh, gamer, 37, uh, former client in 2014, uh, where the gaming was, was not addressed. Um, and you can see that beautiful alpha response. I'm being sarcastic. So essentially alpha goes up. 250% from eyes open, eyes closed. And I also want to point out 01 um, theta beta ratio, how low that is, and the inability to self-quiet. So this is where we see it's an inverse relationship. You have that alpha eyes open, eyes closed, go massively up. Um, and the theta-beta ratio at the back of the brain go down. So essentially, the individual has an inability to quiet. So your stress-resistant marker goes down, so your anxiety goes up, and your alpha burst is up too far. That's your too-much wave. So not creative, creative, SX usage that alters, and your protection goes down. So for a gamer... Because there's professional leaks now, would you recommend that they get a baseline every year, just like you get a physical? It's a gamer's physical? Uh, I mean, I'm going to put this in the same classification as American football. You know, if you choose to be a professional gamer, <clears throat> you're going to get a head injury. It's just not going to be a concussion, right? Uh, <clears throat> and in fact, this, this story made it into my book. Um, lovely young man, 
um, came in because of, you know, stress, anxiety, et cetera. And I pointed out to him, hey, <clears throat> you, you know, you've, you've got a major issue here and you've got to stop the gaming. And this young man was putting himself through university by uh, gaming professionally. Um, and it's not like I made an exception. Uh, he knew what he was doing and he was seeing me to essentially help him um, to maintain um, his anxiety in a manageable state to help him with a better sleep cycle as he continued to play because this is the way he was financing his engineering degree, right? <clears throat> so same thing as a professional American football player. He knew that he was getting his head bashed, but this is what he felt he needed to do. I'm not concerned about those people. I'm concerned about the children that are going nowhere, that at whether it's 18 or 28, you know, essentially dysfunctional, um, can't hold jobs, can't hold relationships because of the, you know, air quote, head injuries, uh, you know, emotional regulation, uh, agitation, et cetera, uh, that they have. So you all know, you all know yeah. that uh, Sue uh, Offmer uh, passed. Oh, oh, no. Yeah. When was, couple, was this? A couple of days ago. Another foundational person in the field lost, you know. It's so common now. I mean, it's yeah. the, the field is old in the tooth, and at that point, the teeth fall out. So, you know. Well, hopefully we're growing back in the gums. <laughs> Mari well, and Pete. We, 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 we do promote uh, new field, you know, members and uh, educate people up. So uh, the, the field has transcended what the founders brought to it. Uh, but without the founders bringing it, we wouldn't have anything at all. So yeah. well, uh, our condolences to the Offmer family, Jay, yeah. right? Dr. Mari Swingle, how can I get a hold of your book? Ah, anywhere, everywhere. Um, so obviously, pun, you can get it online. Uh, it's in paper copy. It's an audio book. Um, it's in uh, electronic version, etc. Um, and there's a lot in there. If you're curious about this and you, you don't just want the hype, you want the science and the history um, interwoven with some fun stories. Hopefully this is the one for you. Dr. Mari Swingle, thank you so much for coming on the Neuro Noodle Podcast. My pleasure. The Neuro Noodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. Like our gold supporter, Applied Neuroscience, and our silver supporter, Mind Earn up to 16 CEU hours by attending Applied Neuroscience's NeuroGuide workshops. In Madeira Beach, Florida, they're led by none other than Dr. Robert Thatcher himself. There are two ways you can attend, online or in person, with the link AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops. Earn up to 16 CEU hours. Sign up now at AppliedNeuroscience.com slash attend hyphen ng hyphen workshops mind media get the latest eeg and neurofeedback technology from mindmedia.com their semi-dry sensor caps is a wonder to see and their eeg amplifiers have been trusted in the field for decades their neurofeedback and qeg courses will get you up to speed in no time visit mindmedia.com now